Hey Conjurers, I'm Sham. And I'm Steph. Today we have a treat for our overseas listeners. The forest can be a calming and peaceful place. It can also be haunting and full of mystery. There is no place that proves this more than Hagley Woods of England. When a mysterious woman with no identity and no one missing her is found in the oddest of places. On April 18th of 1943, in the West Midlands of Worcestershire, England, four young boys, Fred Pine, Tommy Wellitz, Robert Hart, and Bob Farmer, were out searching for bird eggs. In order to conduct their search, the boys had to cross over into private property known as the local Lord's Land, so they decided to leave their bikes on the edge of the Hagley Woods and make their way onto the walking path. It's worth noting that this was during the height of World War II, and food would have been carefully rationed. These boys weren't trespassing lightly to have a little fun. They were likely very hungry and desperate to find something to eat. Well, that's pretty inventive. I wouldn't have thought to go looking for bird eggs in that situation. Me either, and I don't blame them. While they searched, one boy noticed a large blackened witch elm tree that looked creepy and spider-like. He was instantly drawn to it and decided to climb it. About halfway up, he was able to peek into the hollow of the tree and notice something inside of it. He couldn't quite make out exactly what it was, but it sparked his curiosity, so he kept climbing. It didn't look like the eggs he had been hoping for, but he wanted to know exactly what it is. The picture you put up of the tree on our website is so creepy. I kind of love it. Yeah, it really is an eerie-looking tree. It's not one that I would want to go near, yet alone climb. (laughs) Once at the top, he could see something was definitely in the tree, so he made a makeshift fishing pole out of a branch from the tree and a piece of cloth that he had on him to pull whatever he was seeing up to him. As he brought the item up to him, he was surprised to see a rotted human face looking back at him. Rightfully terrified and shocked with his discovery, the boy screamed, which prompted the other boys to run towards him to see it for themselves. They pushed the skull back into the hollow of the tree and debated what to do next. That would be terrifying, but also pretty exciting to find bones like that, especially as a kid. I mean, it's not every day you come across someone's remains. The thought of seeing something like that would stay with me forever, especially as a kid. For sure. They had found a human skull and knew that they should report it to the police, but due to the fact that the boys were trespassing, they were more concerned about the repercussions they would have to face. They made a promise to each other that they would keep what they saw a secret. They did just that, until the thought of the human remains became too much for the youngest of the boys. A few months after the discovery, Tommy Willits felt compelled to tell his father. His father contacted the local police and they quickly went back to check out the elm tree and the boy's statement the next morning. The police did discover a carcass once they looked into the tree, but it was so tightly positioned that they had to first cut down the tree to collect the skeletal remains. Of course, they couldn't keep it a secret. That's not something you keep to yourself. I'm sad they had to cut down the tree, though. That was a pretty cool tree. Right? I know they were kids and were afraid of whatever consequences came their way, but the last thing the police are going to care about is why the boys were in the forest in the first place. (laughs) Right? The kids are always more worried about getting in trouble. Yes. (laughs) After cutting down the tree, they were able to retrieve almost an entire skeleton. Scattered around the tree were some shattered bones from the right hand, which was curiously missing from the rest of the skeleton. At first, they thought maybe an animal had gotten a hold of the hand, 
However, she was so tightly placed in the tree, for an animal to take her hand, they would first have to get past her skull, so it was highly unlikely. Although the clothes she was wearing were close to being completely rotted away, they found pieces of a dark blue cardigan, light blue belt, a cloth skirt with zipper, a peach-colored taffeta linder skirt, and one blue crepe-soled shoe. Her clothing reflected the style of what would belong to the working class back in the 40s. The skeleton also wore a simple wedding ring as well, so it was easily assumed that she was a married woman. That's pretty crazy. How would someone even get into a tree so tightly anyway? I mean, if she died a long time ago and the tree could have grown around her, but her clothes were typical of the 40s, so she couldn't have been there too long. The tree growing over her was likely something the murderer was banking on. If it wasn't for those boys, she would have never been discovered. What else did they find out about the skeleton? For further examination, her body was taken to Birmingham University to be examined by Professor Wester. Once there, they found that the skeleton had been a woman, about five feet tall with mousy brown hair and looked to have been about 35 years old. She had irregular teeth in her lower jawbone and they were crossed over in the front. She also appeared to have given birth before at least one time and estimated that she had been dead for at least 18 months before being spotted by the boys in the tree. This would have been placing her death around October of 1941. Wow, that's actually a lot of information. It is, and that irregular jawbone makes her stand out. You would assume that someone would recognize her based on that alone. Did they figure out how she died? Wasn't it asphyxiation or something like that? Well, they didn't know for sure, but they assumed that was her cause of death. That was because they found a chunk of cloth in her throat. However, that piece of cloth may have been stuck in her throat due to the makeshift fishing pole that the boys used to draw at her skull and shove it back in when she was first discovered. Wester concluded that she was put into the tree feet first, either while she was still alive or very shortly after death, because rigor mortis would have made it impossible for her body to have been maneuvered into such a tight space. Interesting. I don't know how much we can trust the cloth in her throat, because like you said, the boy used some when he found the skull. With only bones left, the cause of death could have been almost anything, really. Yeah, I wouldn't have even considered that based on the boy's information on how it got there. Maybe back then they were less willing to classify something as undetermined. But she had a wedding ring on, so someone had to be looking for her, right? You would think. With all this information the police were given by Professor Wester, they had enough of a description to release to the locals in hopes that someone would come forward to claim the woman. However, days turned into weeks and no one seemed to be missing a relative. The police even went as far as cross-examining a list of missing persons to see if their Jane Doe fit any of the descriptions, but none of them matched up. So they went to their next plan of action, which was to check dental records. Due to her irregular lower jaw and the removal of one tooth on the right side of her lower jaw, a dentist would have been sure to document it. However, they found no documentation in any local dentist's office. With the lack of missing persons from the area matching Jane Doe, the police had to assume she wasn't from the area and was either brought there or was passing through. Every time I hear about searching dental records in cases like this, especially prior to computer databases, I can't help but wonder how many dentists were really in the area. Like two? (laughs) And does the dentist hand over every patient file or rely on memory to narrow down the ones to pull? 
it just doesn't seem very practical to expect results from a search like that. Right? I could only picture two dentists, like one in town and like one on the outskirts. (laughs) So I just Googled (laughs) dentists near me and found over 60 dentists in just a two mile radius. Without a searchable database, that would be impossible to find specific abnormalities. Okay, what other clues did they have? There was one clue that did come to surface from an executive of an industrial company. In July of 1941, 20 months before the body was discovered, a man had been walking to his home at Hagley Green when he heard a woman's screams coming from Hagley Woods. A couple minutes later, he ran into a school teacher that had been walking in the opposite direction that also heard the screams of a woman coming from the woods. This gave enough concern for the men to contact the local police that went to go check out the woods and found nothing. Due to the pathologist finding that the body had been in the tree for at least 18 months, and that night was 20 months prior to the discovery, this was very promising that it was the screams of our Jane Doe. This still led to nowhere, and the investigation was halted. I think if I heard someone screaming in the woods, I would go look for them immediately. They could have possibly saved her. But that is our modern luxury of cell phones, I guess. They would have had to go home in order to call the police at all, and in the woods, it would be unlikely that you could find your way back to the same spot again. I mean, you never know what you're walking into. But the fact that it was two men would have given them a higher advantage at taking down the murderer and possibly saving a life. It's unfortunate that she had to die inside of a tree because if she was on the ground, they would have found her. No police officer will ever think to look inside of a tree. (laughs) Right. So that's it. They just stopped looking for clues and who she was and who murdered her. Yes, until December of 1943, when graffiti appeared on the wall in Upper Dean Street with the saying, Who put Bella down the witch elm? This was followed up with graffiti on multiple buildings asking the same question. This drove the police to believe whoever is putting up these must know the identity of the woman in the tree if they went as far as naming her Bella. However, after months of investigating, the police had exhausted all their resources and the case went cold. However, as interesting as this case was, it didn't stop others from speculating how and why Bella ended up in the witch elm. I wonder if they ever found the graffiti artist. That's a creepy way of keeping it in the public eye, but I guess it worked. I would automatically assume that this person must have known something to give Jane Doe the name Bella. Steph will tell us more about a few theories after a quick message to our listeners. The first theory was Bella was a victim of the occult. This theory was started by anthropologist professor Margaret Murphy, a respected figure at the time. She had a special interest in the scattered bones of the right hand that they had found around the tree. She believed that this could be evidence of an occult practice called a hand of glory. The ceremony of creating a hand of glory was carried out by an occultist by removing the hand of a criminal after being killed for their crimes, often while they were still hanging. Fat from the body was then used to create a candle held by the severed hand, which was believed to burn forever for the owner of the candle but no one else. The Hand of Glory candle was believed to hold magical powers. It was believed that once it was lit, it would allow the owner to open any locks and cause anyone else in the place to fall asleep and not wake up until the candle was extinguished. While today this practice seems absurd, it was a common thing in the past. 
though it's unlikely to be the case for Bella since the bones of the hand were left behind and would have been needed to make a hand of glory if that was the intent. However, the amputated hand in this case has never been fully explained. That sounds like a lot to unlock a few doors. (laughs) It was mostly used by (laughs) professional thieves, so tools of the trade, I guess? (laughs) Yeah, and they use the fat off of a human. That sounds like a lot of work. Let me say that we are blessed in 2020 that we can just pick up a pumpkin spice candle from the local Target and call it good. (laughs) (laughs) Another theory is that she was a victim of witchcraft. People whispered that she was either a witch herself or had been murdered by witches. This theory was partially started by the name written on the walls that we have come to know her by. Belladonna is a poisonous plant that is native to Europe, North Africa, and Western Asia. This plant is known to be used as medicine since the 14th century, but also used in black magic. Its name means beautiful woman because during the Renaissance, women would take it to enlarge their pupils so men found them more alluring. So they were slowly poisoning themselves for what? Vanity? Uh, yeah. Ladies, trying to meet society's unrealistic beauty standards isn't worth it in any decade. I'm not risking my health for no man, okay? (laughs) (laughs) In Bella's case, these rumors caused even more concern for theorists because, according to the locals, Hagley Woods had an ancient history of witchcraft, though no ritualistic evidence was found at this crime scene. It didn't stop there. The way she was killed added to the whole idea that witchcraft was involved. According to old tales, witches were to be imprisoned inside or buried under a tree. The belief was that the tree would contain the witch's magic and trap her there forever. What makes this theory even more fascinating is one of the trees used for imprisonment in particular was a witch elm because that tree is already associated with dark magic. This theory was quickly tossed out and Murphy was discredited since there was no evidence of any witchcraft taking place outside of the Middle Ages in or near Hagley Woods at the time of Bella being discovered. Had the investigators found candles, symbolism of some kind, or any materials used in rituals, this theory would have held more power. However, the only thing that really was linked to any witchcraft was the placement of Bella's body in a witch elm. If that creepy looking tree wasn't used for dark magic, I'd be surprised. But they're right, there was no further evidence around the tree or near it indicating witchcraft was at play. Exactly. A witchcraft ritual would have left other evidence behind. Please tell me they didn't stop there. Of course not. Another theory that was bound to come up during that time was that Bella was a German Nazi spy, or at least associated with one. This theory gained the most ground when supported by author Wilford Byford Jones in 1953 and seemed like the most realistic conclusion to this mystery. Wilford was sent a letter from a woman named Anna, in the middle of him working on a series regarding the Hagley Woods murder. The letter provided to him said the following, Finish your articles regarding the Witch Elm crime by all means. They are interesting to the readers, but you'll never solve the mystery. One person who could give the answers is now beyond the jurisdiction of earthly courts. Much as I hate to have to use a non de plume, I think you would appreciate it if you knew me. The only clues I can give you are that the person responsible for the crime died insane in 1942 
and the victim was Dutch and alive illegally in England in 1941. I have no wish to recall any more. Anna from Claverly. Can I just say, I appreciate the British way of speaking. Here's what the American version would have sounded like. Finish writing your stories. They're cool. But you will never solve the mystery. The one person who knows what happened is dead. Sorry to use a fake name, but you know. (laughs) The only clue I can give you is that the murderer died insane in 1942, and the victim was an illegal immigrant. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) The British version is so much better. (laughs) In America, we use stupid words like tantamount from the freeway phantom case. (laughs) I actually think the French came up with that word. Okay, well, now you got me thinking that the freeway phantom may have been French. Anyways, wrong case. Let's get back to Bella. (laughs) Okay, so this letter definitely sparked Wilford's interest, and he began writing back and forth with Anna for more information. Anna eventually told him her real name, which was Una Mossop, and decided to tell him the entire story. She claimed that her husband, Jack Mossop, was involved in a Nazi spy ring and was working for them as an informant. According to Una, her husband Jack met up with a Nazi agent he was connected to at a pub. Una claims her husband walked into this Nazi agent arguing with a woman and eventually watched him strangle this woman in his car. Jack then helped the Nazi agent bury the woman in the witch elm tree that Bella was found in. Another version of the story from Una was that her husband Jack was friends with two Nazi spies, Van Ralt and a woman named Bella. One night, they were out drinking at the pub, and the woman got too drunk and passed out. Jack told Una that they put her in the witch elm tree as a joke and left thinking she would climb out when she woke up. The theory is that she was stuck in there so tight that she couldn't get out and slowly died stuck in that tree. Either way, the murder of the woman traumatized Jack so much that he claimed to have a reoccurring nightmare of the woman staring up at him from inside the tree. He ended up being institutionalized in 1941, where he stayed until his death in 1942. You know what a good person does with their friend who's drunk? They take them home, they give them some water, maybe a Tylenol, and throw them in bed. (laughs) Not a creepy-ass tree. This kind of supports that story about those people hearing a woman scream out in the woods, though. It does. It makes a lot more sense to me out of all the theories. Because this story was more likely than witchcraft and matched the timeline of Bella's death, the police got involved. However, while certainly intriguing, no real evidence was found to support it, and the lead ran cold. They still had no identity for the woman or potential killer. That was until 15 years later, when a man named Donald McCormick was researching a theory for a book he was writing called Murder by Witchcraft. Donald had received records from German military intelligence about a Nazi agent named Lehrer that was sent to the Midlands in 1941, and this agent had a Dutch girlfriend named Clarabella Dronkers. Clarabella was 30 years old at the time and had crooked teeth, just like Arbella. Apparently, Nazi agents were known to be operating in the Hagley Woods area during the time of Bella's estimated death, 
If she had been foreign, that would explain why no one recognized her and why they couldn't locate her dental records. So far, it's all adding up. It makes sense, right? It makes me wonder if there was still a Nazi agent around during the time of her discovery, because who would know that her name was Bella outside of them? If the Nazi was a spy and they were never discovered, it's very possible that they just kept their head down and started a new life after the war ended and their side lost. Yeah, this is true. Donald McCormick even traveled to Holland to try to prove these claims. He found a former Nazi officer who told him that five Dutch spies were sent to the Midlands in 1941 in an operation called Operation Sea Lion. He claimed that one of those spies was given the code name Clara, and the description of her that he gave to McCormick matched the police description of Bella. He claimed that Clara and the others parachuted into Hagley Woods, but Clara was never heard from again. Donald McCormick had a compelling theory, but was criticized for using alternative or unsubstantiated facts. No proof was ever uncovered to support this theory. Yeah, I would assume if she parachuted, it would still be attached to her if that was the last time she was ever seen. Right? And she wasn't really wearing clothes for that. (laughs) Doesn't really add up. No, and what are the chances she would have parachuted into a tree? Into the branches? Sure. But directly into the hollow, tight center? No way. No. So are there any other theories? There were, of course, other theories, but nothing case-breaking came from them. One was brought by the local church officials who didn't want the rumor of witchcraft being done on their holy land. They challenged the witchcraft theory by stating that it was possible that Bella was just a Romany, also known as a gypsy at the time. They stated that it's likely she offended her clan and they likely murdered her as a result of that. That was, of course, just speculation. In 1954, a man named George Elwell, who was a railway officer and self-proclaimed inventor, went for a walk to where the witch elm had been. After standing next to it for a while, noting the energy of the area, he went home and put himself into a trance using a blinking car headlight and a mirror. He recorded his session and submitted the 15-minute ramble to police as psychic evidence, which included the murderer's name. Police did not take this evidence seriously, and nothing came of it. Um, That doesn't sound like he has psychic abilities. Maybe he was developing psychosis. <laughs> right? They filed his psychic evidence in the trash, most likely. I wouldn't have taken his findings seriously either. <laughs> there was one thing that police had, though. In a modern documentary on the case, journalists uncovered a brief note in the police files written in 1944 by Detective Sergeant Renshaw to his inspector. It stated, while speaking to a Birmingham prostitute, she told me that a girl named Bella had been missing for three years. No other information or follow-up was in the files, so it was assumed that this lead didn't pan out either. We know as true crime enthusiasts, prostitutes have been historically known as easy targets for serial killers. During the time of Bella's death, England was in the middle of World War II, so it would be easy for a missing person in that field to be overlooked. Absolutely. I wonder if they even followed up on that possibility. Unfortunately, these are all just theories and nothing more. Though the Nazi spy seems to be the most believable theory, No real evidence was ever compelling enough to draw a solid conclusion on Bella's true identity. There was reward money for anyone to come forward with information on Bella's identity, and that could have sparked many made-up theories. 
It's also possible that she was just traveling through the area and it was a case of wrong place, wrong time. This is no longer an active case and there are no new leads to look into. Bella's remains and all forensic evidence have all mysteriously vanished. Even any record of her remains existing at all at the university where they were known to have been kept have disappeared. As the years continue to pass, we may never know who put Bella in the witch elm. However, thanks to today's new technology, after 75 years, investigators were able to generate the face of Bella from the witch elm based on her skeletal remains. We have posted it to our website and social media for your viewing. Even though this is a very infamous story that was sensationalized after the discovery, it's important to remember, regardless of who Bella was or what she did, she was still a woman that was brutally murdered and her identity is now forgotten forever. No one wants to die, even worse is to be forgotten. It's unfortunate that Bella's truth was never told. There's nothing left to be done for Bella, but there are many other crimes that need the community's help to solve. We have talked about Crime Stoppers USA before on this podcast, but Crime Stoppers is not just in the US. Crime Stoppers is an international organization that creates a network of local programs that work together to prevent and solve crimes in communities across the world. Crime Stoppers is entirely anonymous, and the process of calling Crime Stoppers is simple. In the UK, you can reach them by calling 0800 555 111, which will put you in contact with the Crime Stoppers Command Center. An operator will answer the phone and take down the information you wish to provide about a crime. They will never ask for your name, number, address, or any other identifying information. You can also place a tip on the website from the Tip Submit button on the main page, or you can even download the P3 Tips app. To view images, information, and sources from this case, visit our website at crimeandconjure.com. Research and writing for this episode was done by Stefan Sham. Editing of this episode was done by Denver Fortner Productions with music by Jordan Alina. Be sure to check out our Instagram at Crime and Conjure Podcast for our question of the week. Sham, what's our Conjure tip of the week? This week, we want to tell you about Chiastolite. This crystal can be helpful during a state of change, assisting with getting through difficult situations to find yourself in a new state. It is believed this stone can be used to aid you in deep meditation to discover past life information. It can also be used for problem solving and to provide insight and answers to mysterious occurrences. Oh, that's so interesting. If only it would help us solve Bella's mystery. <laughs> okay, Conjurers, we'll be back next week with another episode. Until, Until next time, time stay, stay vigilant, vigilant Conjurers. conjurers.